So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably the witch. I did. So, uh, <laughs> the research I did was a really based around. Uh, here we go again. Um, the the owner, the current owner of the house, tried to sue the Perone family and Lorraine Warren because basically after everyone people put the pieces together and figured out where the house was. And so, you know, people would go and bother them all the time and, you know, vandalize their property and whatnot. And so she went on this rampage and tried to debunk the whole thing. Okay. And you can find her video on YouTube, but the lady is not technically savvy at all. So she's doing great research, but the pictures don't line up in the video. And so you have to like stop the video and read it and then go back in the video to see why this piece of documentation correlates. <laughs> Anyways, okay, you can find this online and it's pretty interesting. And now what she is claiming is that, okay, in the book, Andrea Perone claims that Bathsheba Sherman was tried for witchcraft and she went and she and all this you know the whole history of this character and what she's claiming is that there's zero evidence for any of it there's no records in the court systems that she's ever been tried or she's ever been in court um the historian that andrea perone claims she got this information from Mm -hmm. claims that uh she never even discussed these things with andrea perone okay um, and yeah, couldn't find any records at the town hall or historical society <clears throat> and then put together that I free, I didn't write down the dates for some reason, but the date, the Bathsheba Sherman, uh, would have been tried and have done this is before the town was ever even incorporated. So the documents are all in a different, yeah. different place. And I guess they went into it and looked at the documents and um, let's see. Uh, like Andrea claims the best she would die by hanging herself. Well, what the documents they did find when they went to the other historical society is that she died of a stroke in her house. Oh. And that her, this kid that she supposedly sacrificed actually grew up and had kids and had their own farm. Okay. And what it appears to be, at least from what I can pull out of it, is that the Bathsheba Sherman mythology was still around. And so the the locals all believed that she was a witch and all this kind of thing. And then, as per usual, Lorraine Warren goes in and claims that she had psychic visions and interactions with Bathsheba and that all the mythology was true. Mm. And so, you know, here we go again, like who's telling the truth. But the fact is, is that everyone in the Perone family agrees with the haunting tale, but none of the facts line up. Yeah. And so this is sort of one of those weird things again, where it's like, it seems like the activity in the actual haunting is legitimate. Right. But all the facts around it are just sort of concocted and fit the mold. Right. And, you know, what do you do with that? Well, it, it kind of reminds me of the father inside Big Fish, right? And, and the witch in the village. <laughs> right. and the, the, the witch ends up being a regular kind of person. <laughs> so, yeah. It really yeah. feels like that. Yeah. Like it, And that's sort of my my go-to with the Warrens is that I think a lot of times the hauntings are, you know, real right, or whatever, but they like amp up the mythology about it. And so it caused, you know, if you do any kind of research into it, it just falls apart. Right. But the family still generally will always agree that they went through something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you it, know, it, it Kind of sounds like Lorraine Warren just always builds up her own backstory. Right. It's like <laughs> they they go in there and they have no reason why any of it's happening. They're like, oh, here's a good story. We're just going to ply it on there. And they run with it. So, but, you know. So much for clairvoyance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That actually sounds a lot closer to what um, Andrea uh, Perone was saying. Because it, it, she had a really good interview. She really did. I 
really it's uh I think it was on Gaia.com on um on YouTube. So she has a really good interview. It's only like I think twenty some minutes long, but where she does go in and she says, No, these are legit. Uh it was very violent. Um, although she doesn't what she said is that the Warrens were not quite as involved as they claimed they were. But what mm-hmm. she did say is that when the when the Warrens got there, the spirits became far more agitated and they got more violent. Interesting. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's that. <laughs> yeah, and this is gonna sound really bizarre, but uh when I was like knees deep in Warren World and I was investigating, I would this was a time period where I was experiencing weird stuff. Ooh, let's hear it. Bro. And it always kind of correlated with what I had sort of been indoctrinated by through the Warrens. Okay. Okay. And here's a good example. I went one time and I was knee deep in the Warren stuff. And uh, a friend of mine and I went to this weird cemetery where I live. And I live in a town that is just weird stuff is going on all the time. (laughs) And anyways, yeah, we went in there and I remember we were just standing there and I looked at my friend and he had this flashlight and he was like shaking and he was like, Oh my God, what is that? And I looked over and I saw like a little black shadow thing, like run off behind a tombstone. <laughs> and if you, and it freaked us out, but if you read the Warren stuff, this, they call this an imp where it's like a little shadow creature that's supposed to, it's like the precursor. The first thing you start seeing in a demonic haunting is like little shadow creatures running off into the corner or something. Oh, so like, and I've never seen that again. Like, a but I did see it when I was reading the Warrens' books, and you know, reading about imps, and it was all in my head. But hmm. you know, it was really bizarre that when I was in that mind state and all into the Warren stuff, that like I would that was the most active time I've ever I've ever had investigating stuff because we would go out and we would see something strange like every time. Wow. Hmm. And it was always sort of like stuff I would read in the Warren's books. But then when I got out of that, I would just, you know, it was like a totally different style of activity. It's kind yeah, of I've I've kind of had like this, especially with the through the biblical scholarship angle. Like when we're seeing uh people have visions, right? They're having visions with symbolism that they're sort of inculcated into, right? Uh Ezekiel is seeing uh, stock uh, Babylonian uh, divine throne imagery, right? So it made me wonder a bit, is there something about uh, certain supernatural experiences that the mind is kind of actually trying to translate and impose its own uh, layer onto its own? Yeah. It, I think there's totally something to that. Yeah. It's it's mm. funny you say that because since becoming Catholic, I um, – my kids and I, we, we like pray the rosary a lot together. Um, I, I carry uh, like holy water rosaries with me. Um, I keep uh, blessed salts in different areas. Um, Are you sure you don't work for the Warrens? <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, Did you uh, say salts? So, <laughs> Did you say salts? Yes. It's, it's also great in a good Hispanic dish. Nice. Nice. (laughs) I won't question it now. (laughs) You feel so much better after rice and beans. Oh, I agree. I, I, by the way, anybody who wants to come over and enjoy some rice and beans, I have like a good family recipe I created myself. It's oh, that sounds so good. Phenomenal. It's phenomenal. (laughs) So, but uh, what's really interesting, and my wife will kick my butt for me telling you this story. But (laughs) yes, she will. Yeah, she will. <laughs> if she ever listens to this episode, she totally will. So <laughs> my wife does not pray the rosary with us, all right? Mm. And she often calls into question the validity of us always praying the rosary and uh, holy water and stuff. Well, the kids and I have been completely at peace. We've been great. The other night, because I've been getting really deep into because episodes like this, we're actually this is actually like a three part episode. We have two more coming up after this too, um, later in the year. Um, doing research for this, I've been researching really deep into things like demonology and stuff like that. 
and I always have in general, but even deeper for this. Well, my wife was sleeping on the couch the other night just because she often falls asleep watching TV and stuff like that. And so I just helped the kids go to bed and I just left her alone. And then all of a sudden, she said around, uh, I think she was like four in the morning, all of a sudden she said she heard, bang, 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 on the door, just, or I'm sorry, on the window, on the porch. It's a big bay window I have in the front of my house. So she immediately jumped up, ran over, and opened the curtain. There was nothing there. And then she ran over to the side door, checked all around the porch. It would take a second for them to run off the porch because we have a, a fairly yeah, big porch on. Big porch. Yeah. Nothing was there. She heard no footsteps. But she said she distinctly heard three big bangs. And <laughs> when she said that, I was like, yep. <laughs> I was like, well, sweetheart. You're the only one not praying the rosary with us. And <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry, I should have rang the doorbell. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I left my beer at your house. <laughs> it, it just seems to be that something is waking up and <laughs> because I will also anoint the children each night before going to bed with, with holy water. So right? wait, you're saying so, no, nobody else heard it? Just her. She's the only one in the house that heard it. Yeah, and so. you got that number three going on, right? <laughs> Wait, you know? what's that? Is it what? What's that mean? Uh, according now, I don't know if this is a Warren thing or this is uh, talked about a lot by previous demonologists, but the Warrens believed that uh, demonic ac- demonic activity would occur in threes, and it was some sort of blasphemy to the Trinity. Yep, and so that oh, in demonic demonic interference it would always be like mocking of God in some capacity in the, in a, in a way that it would like, you know, like when it does upside down crosses or that kind of thing that the demonic manifests itself through sort of a reversal or mocking nature towards divine symbolism. Yeah. And I don't disagree. I mean, the, the symbolism always seems to reverse itself, right? I mean, it could have been three something in the morning. Who knows? Um, I think that it probably hit her at four o'clock in the morning because that was, you know, Bryson's time in in uh, CST. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just weird because there was uh, a reference by uh, I think it was Father Ripiger. I believe it was Father Ripiger who also called like three o'clock in the morning, like the witching hour, in reference to it being mocking of Jesus Christ. And the Trinity. So, yeah. Here's another interesting thing I heard once, and I might mess this up, but uh, a nurse practitioner family member of mine said something about how three in the morning is one of the most common time for people to die. Oh, wow. (laughs) Do with it what you will, but that's what I was told. But I thought that was interesting because, you know, it go. It kind of goes with the whole the whole mythology. Oh yeah. So diving into Amityville, probably one of the most famous cases of all. So uh, Bryce, I'll let you background it real quick. Um, I think we talked about this earlier, but uh, I'll start in with the like the Amityville Horror Week by Lou Gentilly, and um, this case is so. <laughs> the weeds are in the top level they could be in on this. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's so absurd at this point that people are still arguing about this case today. There's message boards dedicated to it. (laughs) There's new information that comes out, you know, I don't know why they do this, but every 15 years was like some new clue that's let out. But, um, (sighs) George Lutz, this is what I was told anyway. And you can actually find some validation for this now. There's an, a documentary, I think it's on Amazon, but it's called My Amityville Horror. Yeah, it is. And the uh the young, one of the kids, Chris Lutz, has finally come out and revealed his story. Mm. Now, if you read the Warren's account, George Lutz is just an average family man and he's just trying to make a living and he's moved into this new house and whatnot. But if you watch that documentary, 
Chris Lutz claims that his dad was obsessed with the occult mm. and that they were all terrified of him as children because they thought he could move things with his mind. Mm. There's that. And back when I was uh, communicating with Lou Gentile, him and George Lutz have like this falling out. And so they're constantly after each other. And one of the things that Lou would always say about George Lutz is there's things about George Lutz people don't know, but you can do your own research to figure out what that is hmm. and et cetera, et cetera. And I believe what Chris Lutz is presenting in the My Amityville documentary is what Lou's re referencing is that George Lutz wasn't just some guy that was trying to raise his family, but he might actually be the reason that the house was haunted to begin with. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, definitely interesting. And, you know, for years, I just never really took it anywhere. But then that documentary came out and I was like, well, there it is. It's coming out. And, uh, yeah, I just think there's so much going on in that. I mean, still, there's so much going on with this that people just there's no way to figure it out. And. I mean, Jay Anson, I believe, came out and said that most of the book is not true. Mm. And I believe, I think it's either George Lutz's attorney or the Warren's attorney came out in one of the court battles and said that, yeah, they basically cooked up the story over a bottle of wine. Wow. And, wow. but again, it, like, if you listen to it, some of it sounds legitimate. Yeah. So, again, it sounds like one of these well, ordeals where they went in there, something was occurring, and then they're like, well, we could really blow this up. Well, I mean, there there was a murder. Yeah. <laughs> True. And that is hard to argue. I mean, yeah. when there's people dying. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, and so, and to touch on that, the interesting part about this is, to this day... Again, so this one I was listening to like the some investigators mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, some of the people involved. It's how do you explain the fact that none of the neighbors heard the shotguns going off? Yeah, it's weird. It's because uh, that's they they estimated it must have been what nine shots that were shot, right? And so so and that that's allowed. I don't know how many of our guests are and our listeners have ever heard a shotgun. They're loud, like incredibly oh, yeah. loud. Yeah. And then yeah. the one they were using, they said this one you can hear in a five-block radius. Oh, yeah. I shoot. Yeah. Yeah. So if this is a very loud shotgun, and here's the thing, nobody moved. Like mm -hmm. after doing the investigation, they went through and they found out that nobody moved. They were all sleeping. So if nobody moved in their bed, one of two things is true. Somebody was a either holding them down in their bed, and you would need second killer theory. Yeah, I've read this. Yeah, but you would need more than one, right? Because if you have that mm -hmm. many people, you need more than one killer. You need several killers to hold them all yeah. down. <laughs> and or B, something else happened because again, you have multiple neighbors that live around the house, and none of them heard the shotgun. And after ballistics. They said they were shot in their beds. Yeah. How? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I think that that's kind of the thing about Amityville is that I think the haunting story of the Lutzes is not nearly as interesting as the actual murder. Yes. Is because the Lutzes, it's like, okay, we can like, it's all made up. They made it up, blah, blah, blah. But the murder, there's legitimate mysteries in there that no one can really figure out. And, you know, I'm pretty sure DeFeo claimed that, you know, he was possessed during it, right? He does. Yeah. yeah, he claimed that he was hearing the voices and all that. And, you know, to me, that's where the real interesting mysteries are, is in the murders. Yeah. Not the 28 days later, and then they, they fled because the walls were bleeding or whatever. <laughs> right. I was watching a more modern uh, uh, interview of him. He still looks possessed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's nuts, man. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's yeah. definitely. Yeah, there's something wrong with that guy. Well, I have to, <laughs> I have to confess that I tried to watch a more modern version with Ryan Reynolds in it. Well, that one's a bit more fictitious, but it, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I don't even know. I definitely not an expert on that subject at all. 
I couldn't even get past a murder scene. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to watch it. <laughs> it's gruesome. But not because of the supernatural element. Just because, of, like he was saying, the murder element is like, that's enough. Yeah. Man, yeah. That's, and, and again, that's enough. how? Because there, there's no silencers built for that yeah. shotgun, right? Oh, so how? Yeah. How? Well, when did it occur? What month? Like, if it occurred right now in July in Cleveland... Sometimes it's hard to distinguish between gunshots and fireworks. That was uh, 68, I think, right? Yeah, it's something like that. I, I don't know. I All I remember mm. is that I feel like, isn't there like a storm going on or something like that where I think... Eh, I don't know. <laughs> I, feel like there's a, I feel like there's something to do with like there's there's a storm coming through or something and then no one heard the storm either. Or mm. one of the reasons they think they didn't hear it was because of the storm or something yeah. like that. But, so it would have to be a certain time of year. Yeah. Even then though, I, anybody who has shot a shotgun, there's a distinctive difference between hearing yeah. thunder and a shotgun. Oh yeah. They, there's a definite, <laughs> there's like a more clap to it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially nine. I mean, you're not talking about mm-hmm. you know one but, shot. That's I mean, true. I, I yeah. just shot a shotgun this past weekend. We were, you know, skeet shooting, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. But there is a difference between where you shoot a shotgun. That's true. Mm-hmm. Like, we were out in open acres, yeah. hundreds of wide open acres. Yeah. There's a difference between shooting it there and shooting it in, in a suburban neighborhood. Exactly. So, uh, context does make a difference there. I'm not saying that I wouldn't be able to tell or not be able to tell i'm not really sure honestly because sometimes in the city here i hear Mm -hmm. things i'm like oh that could be this or that but i'm gonna just keep watching my show keep going on i'll put it to you this way (laughs) i know the difference between say fireworks and a gun and when i hear a specific sound in the distance i do unlock my revolver and put it pretty close to me so (laughs) just saying yeah just saying um yeah, I have a revolver. Get over it. Yeah, so. no, I, yeah, I, I, I too find it hard to believe that no one could hear a shotgun next door. I, I, yeah. I'm on board with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just totally strange. And I forget what else, because then they have the there's like this whole theory that the sister helped him do it. Have you ever read about that? No, no, I've heard of the second, uh, you know, second accomplice theory. <clears throat> right, and I think the part of the second accomplice theory is that one of the sisters helped him do it and they had some weird relationship and I don't remember. It's been a long time since I've gotten yeah. into it, but it's still the horror. There's just piles and piles <laughs> right. of weeds that you got to go through right. to try to figure anything out. And you're going to come up at the end. just like, I don't know what happened. Yeah. It's just too many loose ends. Yeah, that's true. By the time Hollywood gets their hands on it. Yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. Cause that rolls us around to Enfield. Okay. So, I don't know how how much you have on this one. This one's really interesting too. Yeah, the Enfield Poltergeist case as a whole is super interesting. Mm. Um, I'm not so sure about the Warrens' participation. I didn't even hear about their participation, to be honest. Well, well, that's part of the thing I had written down is that I was I was aware of the Enfield Poltergeist before I ever got into the Warrens, mm-hmm. and was shocked to hear that supposedly the Warrens were involved. <laughs> right. And then the more I read about it, it feels like they were just, they just went over there for a day and like interviewed the person and then kind of got ran out by the Society for Psychical Research. And then that's all I heard uh, because yeah. it was actually uh, a Maurice. Maurice was actually yep. the one. Maurice Moss, I think. Right. Uh, uh, gross, I believe. Oh, gross. You're right. Gross. Moss was a different investigation. Um, gross. He did everything. He was there for what, 14 months. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, and he has his recordings to this day. And you can catch one on YouTube. His recordings to this day are fantastic evidence that something else was going on there. Right. When I first heard those recordings, I was told that they were from the Warrens. No. Yeah. Not true. <laughs> nope. Not true. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, Lou Gentili on his show played him one time. And I was like, oh, my God, I finally heard him because, you know, this is like early Internet days and you just you just can't find the stuff. And I'd always known that they were real or they existed, the recordings. And I heard him 
And then I was told that they were from the Warrens investigation. <laughs> Not true. Nope. And, you know, like, what do you do with that? Yeah. But if you read their book, they make it sound like they were very involved. And, you know. There was uh, the BBC actually is funny. They, they pulled in uh, the one daughter, the one daughter, uh, the Hutchins daughter. Um, I forget the name of the lieutenant. So they pulled him onto the show, the actual lieutenant who was on site, and mm -hmm. then and a uh, <laughs> skeptic, quote unquote, right? Yeah. And uh, the skeptic had like the weakest freaking argument. It was terrible. She comes on. She's like, "Well, there was other investigations that were done, and this and that," but she doesn't go very deep into the investigations, and she sounds about as credible as the Warrens on this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> But then the investigator is like, listen, I am an actual former police investigator. I was there on site. I witnessed these things. These are the recordings. These are like, how are you telling me that I didn't see what I saw? Mm. I mean, so it was very well, you know, put together. And his testimony is is very well done. Um to I will say that the daughter to this day looks like she's still haunted. Um, yeah. I, she, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you see it in yeah. her face. She is definitely For still, sure. yeah, it's, it's, it's <clears throat> terrifying. It's terrifying to see because to this day you could see the terror in her face. Hmm. Um, yeah. Lovely girl. Well, lo lovely British girl, but, um, you could see the terror in her face. I know. Uh, well, this is part of the thing about the infield poltergeist. Plus the fact that the Warrens were barely involved is there's like tons of witnesses and they've all come out and given their, their version of the story. And, you know, that's one thing you don't ever find in a Warren case <clears throat> is all these witnesses that are telling their story. Cause in Warren's, it's always like, we got to keep them secret because whatever. Right. But you know, the infield poltergeist is a super interesting case. And a lot of times people are like, well, it's a hoax because they show that the girls were faking stuff. <laughs> but if you really like get into it, it really looks like, the phenomena is real, and then sometimes the kids will fake stuff because there's like reporters around, and they're yeah. being like forced into performing or whatever. Kids get into stuff, and to me that that that's perfectly logical. Yeah, like it doesn't make, but you know, yeah, as per usual, kids are kids. They're like, let me look. This is the stuff that's happening. It's like this. <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And I know that most of the investigators that really investigate it. We're all completely convinced that at least some of the stuff was real. It was fantastic. So one of the constables that first showed up during the first call-ins, uh, she was there. There's two of them. There's two of them on site. And she corroborated the fact that she walked in. And she told them directly to their face that they were full of it. And then before she walked out, all of a sudden, a chair lifted up one inch off the ground, moved four feet over, and set itself back down. And she said... I know you're pranking me. She walked over, walked around the chair, picked yeah. it up, and couldn't find anything. So yeah. she corroborated the fact that she could not figure out how it happened. And then here's what's really interesting about the Enfield uh, poltergeist. It, it just again, just all these different people. There's two people. There was two people completely unrelated to the case. One was a postal worker, whatever you call them in England, but <laughs> yeah. one was a postal worker that had just dropped off something at, to the, uh, the flat next to them. And he was walking back across the street and stopped, looked up and saw the daughter floating across her room, toys next to her floating across the room. And then the person, the, the worker next to him also saw it. And they both called in at the same time as corroborating eyewitnesses completely unrelated to the case who didn't know anybody. Mm. So the fact that they are completely unrelated to the case, knows nobody in the case, didn't talk to the police, but both of them, eyewitnesses on the same day, saw the same thing and called it in, that's something. Yeah, yeah I agree. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's enough there that there's something. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's take a real brief moment for our sponsors. Have you ever wanted to train Muay Thai? Perhaps there's no gyms near you. 
Perhaps you work odd hours. Perhaps, like a few of us, you don't like germs. Whichever way it goes, you can train online with some of the best instructors from around the country, either live or in class with other students. Living Muay Thai gives you the chance to do all of this and much more. So jump into live classes and on demand right now. LivingMuayThai.com So Bryson, do you feel that way overall? You know, take the Warrens out of the picture. They're off the table. Is there enough stuff there outside of the Warrens research or work or, you know, any influence of the Warrens that, yes. In Enfield, yes, I do think so. I think Maurice Gross, and there's another guy that I think, I think he's like writing stuff down. It's like Playfair or something is his last name. Okay. Their investigation is really well done. And like you can you can read their investigation and almost get bored with like the details that they're providing because it's done like a real investigation, right? They're gonna they're trying to debunk it. Mm. They're also provoking and communicating with it. They're trying to set up traps mm-hmm. for the people in the house to fall under. And I mean, it seems legit to me. So I think the infield poltergeist is real. And I think eventually, I I don't remember exactly what it is, but at some point they catch the kids faking stuff. But this is pretty normal if you read about poltergeist cases that there's like a timeline to the whole thing where it kind of like goes, increases, increases, and then it drops off. And usually it the, the fakery starts to happen when it's dropping off. Mm. And I think by that time, you know, you've got 10 people from the university watching you under, you know, under surveillance 24 hours a day. And they're like, well, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? And eventually being children, they're going to just start doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, yeah, I think infield's legitimate. Yeah, I agree. There's, there's enough. And again, so for those who don't know my background, um, I have to agree that there's things that happen. Um, my first house I owned was literally a, a quote-unquote haunted house. Whenever I was on site, nothing manifested itself. But uh, my ex, her uncle, and my sister all said that whenever I was not in the house, uh, people would walk around upstairs and slam doors. And they, and they always said whenever I arrived, um, everything would stop. And I'm I'm pretty sure it's because they don't like my cologne. No, but <laughs> I did want to talk to you about that. <laughs> well, <laughs> afterwards, please. Afterwards, uh, it's a nice Hetty Musk. So, <laughs> and uh, my first ex uh, would actually experience stuff like that with uh, with her ex before her and I got together. Um, and she has a ton of weird stories. Um, but. Uh, I know four people. Here's the weird thing. And I don't think I, I don't think I ever told you guys this. I know four people that have experienced uh, I guess we call it night terrors. Mm-hmm. But these night terrors go maybe a step beyond what you'd think of night terrors. Um yes, they they get sleep paralysis, right? That's why sooner or later we're gonna do an episode on this. Um I know one that has talked to his terror. <laughs> And asked him who he was. Zechariah, you're going to love this. Uh, So his terror looked directly at him as he was pressing down on his chest and trying to choke him out. And he told him he was a watcher. And he didn't know what a a watcher was. Mm. Because later, when he and I were training at at, at, uh, Muay Thai camp, he's a Muay Thai guy. Um, I was talking to him at the camp about that and I saw his eyes perk up and then later he reached out to me and told me the story. He's like, uh, you need to tell me more about this stuff because this thing has been visiting me first in my dreams and now sometimes he's in my room and at one point he was holding my chest down and he calls himself a watcher. So he didn't know that before. Wow. So yeah, it's, it's kind of fascinating. Um, I know another person that uh, experienced the same thing. It didn't call himself a watcher, but he, the identical same description. And uh, he was fighting it, and to this day, it left a scar on his body. 
Wow. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. And uh, get this, my old, this might trip you out a little bit. One of my old 4-H advisors when I was really young, this is way before I ever knew what a watcher was, okay? So she was talking to my mother, um, who my estranged mother, I should probably say, um, and uh, she would tell her that this angel would come to see her, and this angel called itself a watcher, and it wanted salvation, and it was trying to figure out if it could help get this human to find salvation for it. Interesting. And she would have long conversations, apparently sit for hours at a time, uh, trying to figure out if this human could help it find salvation. <laughs> what do you feel like that? Feel about that? Because <clears throat> this is pretty like a theologically dividing idea. You know, like, I don't know if I want to name drop this guy or not, but you can edit it out if you don't like it. <laughs> Uh, you guys remember Tom Ragsdale? <laughs> oh, oh no! <laughs> Who doesn't know I, Tom Ragsdale? I, uh, <laughs> I I had to interact with him on like a different forum for like a while, so that was that was an experience. Yeah, and he like, was just gung ho about this idea. Yes, you, you know where we are theologically, and I still think that guy was nuts. <clears throat> Yeah, (laughs) I'll never forget. I'll never forget one time he was on this kick about basically Tom Ragsdale was a Heiserite and he was all into Mike Heiser, but he disagreed with him on one key point. Mm -hmm. And it was that watchers or fallen angels or whatever could achieve salvation. And I'm not necessarily Mm. against that idea, but his now but his methodology is all bizarre, but I'll never forget <laughs> when he was saying, like, I was like, so how are you going to do this, right? Like, you're going to go preach the gospel to the fallen angels. How are you going to do this? And he and he said something like, well, a fallen angel can take any form that it wants. And, like, if it turns into a fly, I just need to preach the gospel to the fly, <laughs> potentially being a fallen angel. And I was just like, wow, man, like I, I was almost I was almost buying it for a while. And then like like, you know, once we figured out the praxis of this whole thing, it, just, it really fell. It really fell quick for me. See, like so what so what you're saying is Jeff Goldblum is who we need to minister to. Apparently. Apparently. I'm gonna drink whatever he drinks. But it's kind of interesting because uh I believe didn't Fern and Audrey make a reference to the same kind of uh, <sighs> spiritual encounter where they said yeah, something about yes they would have demonic encounters with entities that were in their heads feigning guilt and that this was sort of the catalyst for them delving deeper into whatever. But, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So on, on Heiser's podcast, they did. Yeah. Yes, they made a reference yeah. to. Uh, them finding out that they are watchers and that they had to command them by name as a watcher to deal with them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I don't know. It's kind of interesting you tell that story because it's it's sort of the same narrative. You yeah. Know? yeah. And they're, I'm not going to say they're wrong because uh, so I've actually had correspondence with Fernand Audrey. Um, okay. And I, I honestly, I'm not going to say they're wrong. They're, uh, they're very well-meaning and I think they very well may be onto something, and I think they're having actual correspondence with things on the other side, and they are actually dealing with things on the other side. So I yeah. don't think, unlike the Warrens, I don't think they're faking it. <laughs> I think not only are they well intentioned, I think they are on to some form of combat or engagement. Mm-hmm. So yeah um and and they're very well intentioned. They reach out to me after uh uh I had correspondence with Dr. Heiser on this um in fact, if you go all the way back to one of the q and a's um on this subject when he mentions Aaron, that's actually what that was from me so yeah and uh because of my past engagements with uh my parental unit uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the things that I dealt with on that because for my, I think I've lightly touched on my background. I'm not going to do it now. It could be a whole two podcasts by itself, but I made right. I made references to it. 
for references to it, go back to our uh, our Christmas uh, conversion story in the last uh, on our last podcast. This last Christmas, we I make references to the things I've been through. I'm not going to deal with it here, but uh, after they found out my story and things I've been through, they did reach out to me so they, earnestly. So I, I do think they're very well intentioned, and I do think they're on to, to things. So, um, yeah, to 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 the benefit. Yeah, yeah, I really like their methodology. I've yeah. gotten into like psychoanalysis and trauma a lot, and I I like their methodology. Mm-hmm. Mm. I don't know yeah. how on point they are with all this stuff, but yeah, I do think a lot of stuff like that can be rooted in like trauma sure. and yeah. Fra- yeah. psyche fracture, open doors. and all that kind of yeah. I mean, yeah. and I was on site for our audience who may have heard otherwise. I was on site when they received some criticism while Dr. Heiser was in the room himself. I, uh, from my correspondence, I don't think their criticism was justified. So just so for those who are out there, um, because there was references to like financial stuff. And from my interactions with them, I feel that that was unjustified. So because I will tell you that Fernand Audrey never asked me for a dime. So they offered, uh, they offered to counsel me free of charge um, there was nothing like that. So from my correspondence with Ferdinand Audrey, they are 100% legit, and they are 100% well-meaning, and I think they're on to good things. So, so this is what makes it yeah. interesting and, and tough for me in terms of the, the supernatural and whether or not a person's claim to something is true or not. Right. And I'm on board with you, Bryson, in terms of there could be open doors in terms of people who have had the worst past ever, maybe a fractured past abuse in any way you want to call it, there could be an open door there. And so, you know, I, I would say that I probably fell into that camp of, yeah, according to your background, you should have an open door to something supernatural or not. Right. And I grew up, Mm -hmm. I grew up evangelical Pentecostal. So that, you know, that makes, makes me in that camp much more. Right. (laughs) But my whole life, experiencing everyone around me who's had supernatural experiences, I could never have one. Right. And so it, it, it didn't diminish me wanting to search that out. I always felt like I wasn't privileged enough or I wasn't just in that camp to yeah. experience something like that. The only thing that I had close was indirectly. And this was it. I'll wrap it up really quick. You know, we, uh, when I first got married, I lived in an apartment. This apartment lived in a, a very old uh, colonial home. It had a servant's quarters where the slaves lived. We we lived in that part of the home. Okay. It was, We loved it. They renovated. It was an amazing home. It was where my wife and I first lived. We loved it. It was just, it was an amazing place for us. Nothing but great memories there. One experience there, or maybe two, um, but one for sure, we left. Our landlords, which was our neighbors, they lived in, the same part of the home, but in a different area. We were gone. They called when we were gone and they left this frantic message when we were gone. And we got back. We were, you know, at this time we had answering machines. Whoa. A little, uh, you know, a little device just dedicated to that. <laughs> I pushed a button and I get this crazy message from my landlord right next door. Great friends of ours to this day. Hey, you guys, I thought you guys left. I saw you guys left. The craziest noise ever. We we're sitting in our our dining room, which was right next to our kitchen, where we, you know, in their home. And she said, "I swear to God, like a truck was coming through from your kitchen right into our dining room where we wow. were having dinner, and it jolted all of them." She's like, "Now I know you're not home, and that's why we're leaving a message." And so. You know, the, her husband, John, went and checked things out. I'm like, what the heck? There's nothing here. It's... Yeah. And so she said I mean, she literally heard things fall within the walls, that kind of thing. So, you know, wow. we got home. We checked a message and we're like, what the heck? We're looking like in our kitchen where you're like, everything is fine. What? How could that be, you know, possible? But that was the closest thing I've ever felt where something manifested itself. But yet I wasn't privileged to it. And I always hmm. felt like, man, if you were only there, 
Yeah. Well, like, uh, right. why are some people so privileged to something so supernatural? Yeah. And some people aren't, you know, is it my self-awareness? Am I not that far along on the salvation path? Am I on the wrong journey? You know, I, wh- I, what sets it apart? Go ahead, Zach. I, I'm with, I'm kind of with, I'm kind of with you uh, on this. Like, uh, <clears throat> I have had zero direct spiritual experience. There's something I experienced, but it's kind of different. I'll talk to it uh, about after the show, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it, if I could de- I think I described it before. I'm like, I'm, I have like the spiritual awareness of a rock. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, is there, is there such a thing as like an anti-psychic or something? <laughs> <laughs> so the closest I think I ever got to that is I actually helped with a, uh, an exorcism. Um, this is really? ba- Yeah. So this is way back when I, uh, I first left after, um, I can go back to uh, the Christmas episode. Now I escaped family. Um, so you abu- had to be Catholic. Family right? abuse. No, I was actually evangelical at the time. And you um, helped with the next. I was I was in a Pentecostal church at the, at the time. What? Uh, well, <laughs> is you know non denominational. Oh, um, okay. So anything goes. Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, during one of the pastors, so so for those who haven't listened to the episode, I escaped m- under my mother who was abusing us and. I ran to a pastor's home, and I lived with that pastor for a while. And he was a non-denominational pastor. His inclinations were Pentecostal, but he was not opposed to Baptist views. So um, living with that pastor, God bless his soul, very nice guy. His, his, actually, his whole family, very nice people. Um, I got to experience something one night when he was preaching. All of a sudden, somebody... In the uh, in the congregation, uh, a friend of his daughter's jumped up and started convulsing and foaming at the mouth, and uh, I uh, suddenly so I was dumbfounded. I'd never seen anything like it before, right? And uh, he started confessing to <laughs> being on the beaches of Geneva, which I didn't quite understand. Um, yeah, and then. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, well, there's there's more to it. So we jumped down and started praying over him and praying over him and praying over him. He twisted back and forth and back and forth and back and forth um, until his body started relaxing and uh, and he started calming down. And the pastor acted kind of weird because he had prayed for him, but then he walked out. And I was like, well, that's weird. He would have thought that with this yeah. being a obvious exorcism, you would have thought that the pastor would have stayed on site, right? So he prayed over yeah. him, and as soon as he relaxed, he just walked out. And so I confronted him. I actually walked over to him, and I said, what's going on? I said, obviously, you just exercised that guy. And he's like, well, here's the thing. He goes out to the beaches of Geneva. Uh, that's where the Satanists meet and hold their, their meetings and their coven meetings. And the trouble is, is that when he first started going there, it wasn't this violent and every time he goes back, it becomes more and more violent because every time, seven more demons are going to accompany him. And every time he comes back, it's going to be more violent. Right. And uh, it was fascinating to watch that. I mean, I would like to say fascinating to participate in that, but it was more awestruck than anything. Oh, yeah. And the fact that the, that he had that awareness of him, that, there were, that the reason why this one was more violent was because more demons were surrounding him this time and uh yeah he's like he's like the trouble is is that if he keeps doing this there will be a time when we cannot exercise him interesting so So, maybe in my neighbor's case they were the ones that could have been haunted by demons or i don't know i don't know this is a guy who involved himself purposely with satanic meetings and satanic covens so he was inviting demons into himself fascinating yeah so yeah that's the closest i ever got but let me tell you what witnessing it firsthand what you see in the movies that's what it looks like convulsing and spewing all kinds of i mean everything you hear coming out people's mouths in the movies that was that's what he was saying i mean uh every kind of expletive in every kind of Mm -hmm. way and every kind of like it was bad it was violent it was vile it was everything you see is what he was going through I yeah. mean, it was 
It was bad. His head did not turn to full 360. <laughs> uh, right? So yeah. obviously he wasn't that far. <laughs> yeah. On the beers. Gumby, what was your favorite? Uh, definitely. The, the Buena Visa? Oh, yeah. Okay, Buena Visa. I also enjoy the Buena Visa. Um, I did thoroughly enjoy the R.I.P. Current. I thought it was really good. Great dessert beer. Phenomenally mm-hmm. well-accented. Um, good. Great summer beer, actually. Yeah. But this one, I will agree, the fresh crispness, yeah. I think, put it just an edge ahead. This one so. was very consistent for me. Stayed yeah. solid. Yeah. I like it. So nothing against the other one. I really do think it was phenomenal. I would drink it any day of the week, yep. twice on a Sunday. Um, I don't know if I'd stock it personally. <laughs> yeah. This one I'd stock. This one, is it edges it out. Yeah. For some reason, it just edges it out. I, I think it's the crispness on top of it. It's probably the lime. I love lime. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> anyway, last words. Zachariah. It was pretty fun, pretty fun experience. Drama, uh, horror. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Bryson? Uh, Yeah, I had a great time. Uh, I guess my end mark will be like something like referencing Gumby's sort of deal about why doesn't he experience things. And I I think a lot of my personal experiences Mm -hmm. were provoked by me being obsessed and pursuing it. Okay. So... Okay. I guess the moral of the story is be careful what you look for. <laughs> so you might find yeah. it. That's good advice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I definitely agree and concur with that. Um, you know, sometimes you may not realize what maybe you got's protection over you. Yeah. Um, and just accept it for what it is. Yeah. And uh, I, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And there's nothing taboo over brew. That's right. Please feel free to find us on every social media platform facebook in fact i just upgraded our facebook platform to the new facebook version so please check that out and we will be doing live green room editions coming up where our audience can engage should be especially good on skeptics corners Mm. all right and uh please feel free to uh participating uh paying for our beers because we do this for you this is only for you we drink for you. We don't do it for us. No, no, it no. is solely for the audience. This is solely for your benefit. It doesn't matter what I think. That's right. Very altruistic. <laughs> <laughs> so please feel free to donate on Patreon or on uh, a, uh, anchor.fm forward slash Bible Over Brews. We are here for you. Please reach out to us. Love you. Good night. Godspeed. Peace out.